0: From today's reading from Acts, the Spirit told me not to make a distinction between them and us. In the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I grew up in Beaumont, Texas, and I was raised at St. Mark's Episcopal Church St. Mark's played a very influential role in my formation. And from a young age, I was told that St. Mark's was God's house, the place where God had chosen to make a home. And this I took to be a very literal truth, so much so that it left me with a theological question that no one at the church could seem to answer, namely, of all the places where God could live, why did God choose Beaumont? (laughs) But I took it on faith that God did, and that St. Mark's was not a place, but the place where God could be found, that my church was God's home. So I want to tell you a story of when my thinking began to expand a little bit. I was 16 years old, and I was in the back seat of a friend's SUV after basketball practice. We stopped at a gas station to get a Gatorade, and having paid, we were in the car about to pull away when a man knocked on the driver's side window. He was homeless, mentally challenged, alone, and most of his teeth were missing. This man was mostly mute, but he still attempted to speak. We couldn't understand his words, and so he handed my friend, the driver of the car, a note card. The card said that he was hungry and that he needed money for food. When he spoke, his words came out jumbled, and we couldn't understand what he was trying to say. One of my friends started to laugh, and before I knew it, we were all laughing, not because we wanted to be cruel, but there was something about the encounter we were not prepared for. And it wasn't long before contagious laughter filled the car. And we continued to laugh as we drove off, leaving the man behind without the money and the food and the dignity that he needed. I went home that night. And I felt a deep guilt and sadness. This man had needed love and food, but he received laughter and ridicule. I felt disappointed in myself, and I was really sad for him, and I started to cry. I then knelt down by my bed and through my tears, I said a prayer, a prayer that God would allow me to meet this man again and to do something that could maybe make up for the way that I had treated him. More than anything, I prayed that God would give me a do-over. Well, sure enough, the next day I pulled into a fast food restaurant and there he was, waiting for me and I know it sounds odd to say that this man was waiting for me but in the moment I knew that he was waiting for me that God had answered my prayer and so I took a deep breath and I walked up to him I handed him whatever money I had on me at the time I then told him that i had seen him the other day and that I was sorry In return, he gently placed his hands on my shoulders and he then did something for me that I had failed to do for him the previous day. He made eye contact and he smiled and then he spoke words that I did understand. I bless you, he said, in the name of Jesus. This was a moment in my life when I realized that the presence of God fills not just the church, but the world and the people therein. The day I learned that no law or liturgy or custom or tradition can bind or limit or capture the fullness of God's work. Peter discovers something similar in today's reading from Acts where God makes it clear that God's work will extend to the Gentiles outside the confines of Jewish law and custom and culture. This was a shocking discovery and given Jewish law, it is understandable that the Christian leaders who were Jewish would criticize Peter for eating with Gentiles. This sort of thing was not done. But having seen the Holy Spirit at work in the Gentiles, Peter hears a message from God that is very clear, and he relays that message to the believers in Judea. We can no longer make a distinction between them and us. And so the question I want us to consider today is pretty simple. Who is you're them. Or another way of asking that question, where in your life do you like to see yourself as separate from and superior to other human beings? Who is your them? And this is a question we can ask on two different levels, the societal and the personal. As a society, we make distinctions all the time around class, gender, ability, race, and politics, to name just a few. And we take these distinctions very seriously, using them to find a tribe where we fit in, a tribe that will reinforce an identity rooted in the particular way that we have distinguished ourselves from others. A process not harmful in and of itself, but certainly one that creates problems when different from becomes superior to. We also make distinctions in our personal life, and the distinctions we make are very subtle, but they are real. We make judgments on how people look, dress, parent, and act, and if you wanna see how this plays out in your own life, just look at that place where you tend to be the most critical because at its root, criticism is nothing more than a distinction we make where we get to place ourselves in a position of being superior to someone else. You see, there are two very big problems with the distinctions we tend to make as human beings. Number one, they are never the full truth, and number two, They impair our capacity to love. There's an old story about a rabbi who once asked his pupils, how can you tell when the night has ended and the day is on its way back? Could it be, asked one student, when you can see an animal in the distance and tell whether it's a sheep or a dog? No, answered the rabbi. Could it be, asked another, when you look at a tree in the distance and you can tell whether it's a fig tree or a peach tree? No, said the rabbi. Well, then what is it, the pupils demanded? You know the night has ended, said the rabbi, when you look on the face of any person you encounter and you can see a brother or a sister, because if you cannot do this, that no matter what time it is, it is still night. When Jesus tells his disciples that they are to love one another as he has loved them, it's because a new day of love has dawned through the incarnation, death, and resurrection of the Son of God, a day marked by the understanding that God's home it's not a custom or tradition or tribe or any shrine made with human hands, but rather that our neighbor, that this is the place where God has chosen to make God's home. In fact, the Gospel of John speaks of Jesus as the true light that gives light to every human being. The people we like, the people we don't like, the people we call us, and the people we call them. It was C.S. Lewis who said it best. He writes, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses, for in your neighbor is Christ truly hidden. There is no distinction greater than between God in humanity, and yet God so loved this world that the Word became flesh to feed us, to make eye contact, to make his home in the human heart, to bless us in the name of Jesus. Our mission as a church is first and foremost to receive that divine love, that flows from the cross because we cannot give to others what we have not received ourselves. But for those of us who have received grace upon grace, our job is to know that our neighbor is where God has chosen to make a home. And that no matter what today brings, that there will always be at least one person outside the walls of this church, waiting for you. And from time to time, we're going to blow it. But God has a funny way of making sure we get a do-over, if that is in fact what we want. Because at the end of the day, each person we encounter in this wonderful world is a neighbor a brother or sister for whom Christ died, the place where God has chosen to make a home. And just like you, your neighbor needs love, dignity, eye contact. And so love one another as Christ has loved you. For by this and not anything else, not only will the world know us as his disciples, but we will also encounter God where God has chosen to make God's home in the hearts of human beings who bear his Father's image. Amen.